Amen. Amen. This time our Grove kids are dismissed. You guys know where to go. Hey, I want to start off our time this morning by reading several passages of Scripture, which, as you know, is, is my favorite way to begin our conversation every week. I mean, can you think of a better way to begin than with words that were literally breathed by God, than words that God has been speaking to his people for thousands of years, bringing hope, encouragement, and life? Words that like the rain and snow that come down from the sky to to water the earth. Words that will not return to God empty. Words that will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent them. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to begin either. And to mix things up a little bit, rather than me just reading them, we're going to read it together, taking turns. And and since I'm a, a very nice person, you all get to go first. And here we go. And... One, two, three, hit it. Who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. And here's the next one, Psalm 89. And again, you all go first. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Who is like you, Lord Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Amen. Now, this next passage is from Psalm 107. It's a psalm about how we need to continually give God praise because he's good, because his love endures forever, and because he constantly shows up in the lives of his people when they are in distress in order to bring blessings and deliverance. A blessing and deliverance, this psalm says, for times when God's people find themselves in the wilderness or times when they find themselves hungry and thirsty, times when they're suffering in prison, and times when they're suffering because of their own sins. In the passage we're about to read, there's some, there's some guys on a, on a boat in the middle of a raging sea, and the psalmist writes, their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror, Uh, They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. And now's their passage. You guys go first. So so you get the picture. Guys are in a boat. the, The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. And not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The ships aground ashore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan. The skipper too. Anyhow, sorry. That's a different story. 
And my wife would say, free up that brain space. You can't find your keys, your notes, your wallet. Anyhow, sorry. That, 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 anyhow, I got nothing to say. You guys go first. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And just one more from Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us, Lord that encourages us, that reminds us of your great power and your great faithfulness, Lord, that you are the one who can calm the seas, Lord, that you're the one who can move mountains, that you're the one who can slay giants and brings down walls, God. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray this morning, God, as we lean into your word, um, that our hearts will be open to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. We're in this verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, the King and His Kingdom. And for the last several weeks, we've been unpacking Matthew chapter 8 and 9, two chapters where we see Jesus demonstrating that He has authority over all things. Over nature, over sickness, over demons, over sin, over death, over the grave, and over how we must live out our lives if we choose to follow after Him. And again, the point that God is, is making through Matthew in these two chapters, is that since Jesus possesses absolute authority in the world, and he does, he therefore warrants, he demands, he requires absolute allegiance from the world, from me and from you. Amen? Amen. And understand, what Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew 28, shortly before ascending to the Father, shortly before going back home to the Father, when he said that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, he was not kidding. Amen? Now, so far, we've seen Jesus demonstrate his authority over sickness, disease, and demons, Matthew 8, 1 through 17. And we've seen his authority over how you and I must live out our lives in his kingdom, Matthew 8, 18 through 22. In this morning's passage, we'll see that Jesus will demonstrate that he has absolute authority, absolute control over nature, over creation. The event that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27, is one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus. In fact, the 17th century Dutch painter Rembrandt made it the subject of one of his paintings. In 1633, At the age of 29, he painted this picture he called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, those were the days, weren't they? When both artists and the arts had respect and admiration for Jesus, for Christianity and the Bible. 
tragically, not so much today. Question, who here has ever heard the story of Jesus calming the storm, of Jesus commanding the winds and the waves? Anybody? Okay. And now before Jesus got into the boat that night, he had been through a very long, draining, exhausting day. Ever have one of those days? Long, draining, exhausting? Yet Jesus was flat worn out. I mean, in the morning, he went to the synagogue in Capernaum, and he, and he taught the people. As he taught the people, they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. And, and while teaching, a guy possessed by a demon recognized Jesus, and he, he starts acting up, and Jesus says, quiet, come out of him. And it did. Then after the synagogue service, rather than going to their favorite restaurant, because lines were kind of long, they went over to Peter's house that was just next door to the synagogue, maybe for some downtime. But once there, Peter finds that, Jesus finds that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a high fever, and he heals her so much for the downtime. Uh, later, when the sun set and the Sabbath was over, a large crowd of people from all over the city of Capernaum began lining up outside the door of Peter's house to be healed of their sicknesses and demon possession. And that probably went on for hours. And then finally, Jesus gave orders to leave the crowd and go to the other side of the lake. And if I had a guess, I would say it's probably around midnight or a little later. Matthew writes, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And disciples did what? They, they followed him. Yeah, they followed him. Even after, as we saw last week in our conversation, that the way in is all in, they followed him even after Jesus made it clear that he was looking for followers, not fans, that he was looking for disciples, not enthusiastic admirers. And they followed him even after Jesus said, hey, I'm more interested in the lives that you live than the words that you say. Words that are cheap, words that lack action and substance. They followed Jesus even after he, he said, I'm looking for commitment, not excuses, as to why you can't follow me now. Uh, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me take care of some family stuff. First let me do some things, go some places that I want to do and go. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me fulfill my agenda Accomplish my goals, my dreams, my wants and desires. Yes, even after all that, they still followed Jesus. And as Mark writes in his account, or you know, Peter pretty much giving Mark his experience, Mark writes, leaving, they followed him, leaving the crowds behind. Mark 4:36. And listen. We cannot follow Jesus within the crowds. Amen? I mean, remember, discipleship is the call to leave and follow. To leave and follow. Get it? Good. Matthew writes, suddenly, someone say suddenly. suddenly. A, a furious storm. Uh, the word that used there is a, a mega seismos. Seismos, like earthquake. Like we're talking a very powerful storm. Like everything was calm and smooth and out of nowhere this violent storm comes raging down on top of them. And listen, violent storms are common on the Sea of Galilee. 
You see, it's an unusual body of water. This pear-shaped lake is about seven miles wide and about 13 miles long north to south. It's, it, at its deepest points, is about 150 feet. It's 680 feet below sea, well, sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that are about 2,000 feet high. And about 43 miles away is Mount Hermon, which stands at 9,200 feet. Here, here's a picture um, I wish I could say I took that personally because that's pretty, you know. Uh, sea of Galilee, the mountain surrounding it, and there's 43 miles away is this, is this huge mountain, Mount Hermon. And, and, and over, uh, over the centuries, like, you know, water gushing from Mount Hermon has created these ravines here that kind of act like a, a funnel that the winds blow through and become a violent storm. And basically what you have is you have these cool winds rushing in here, meeting the, the warm air on top of the lake and you have a violent storm. And sometimes the waves could reach as high as 10 to 15 feet in height. Suddenly, a fierce storm came upon the lake so that the waves began to sweep over the boat. Now, a few years ago, archaeologists found a, a sunken fishing vessel that was dated around the time of Jesus. The boat was about 27 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and about four feet high. Uh, it had a flat bottom which allowed it to get closer to shore. It had mass and oars for navigation and propulsion. And though the boats were, weren't huge, they were big enough that they could carry a dozen men. But again, that much weight meant that the boat was probably riding low in the water. Uh, maybe just 12 to 18 inches above the water line. Suddenly, a fewer storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Um, Mark says that the boat was actually taking on water and was nearly swamped. Uh, Luke says that they were in great danger. Okay, so this violent wind is howling at 10-foot waves or more crashing over them. And listen, there are at least four very experienced guys on that boat. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. I mean, they've been in storms before. They knew how dangerous these storms could be. They know what to do, and they're doing it. They're barking out orders over the sound of the waves and the wind. They're desperately trying to bail out the water in the boat with their hands, whatever is available. They're trying to steer the boat into the waves to prevent it from capsizing. Basically, it was pure panic and chaos on the boat. But nothing seemed to be working. So they go to the stern of the boat where Jesus is. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Question, why is Jesus sleeping? Because he is exhausted. Because he's wiped out. Again, it's been a very long and consuming day for him. Yeah, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. And therefore, long days and non-stop demands for perhaps hundreds of people had taken its toll on him. Question, have you ever been so worn out that once you fell asleep, you were sleeping so hard that nothing could wake you up? Not a loud thunderstorm, not crying children, and not your alarm clock? The disciples went and woke him up saying, I would think shouting, right? It's probably pretty loud. Lord, save us! We're going to drown. It's in the present tense. These are experienced fishermen, and they are freaking out. 
Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Uh, Mark adds these words, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Uh, again, present tense. Picture the scene. It's completely dark. Uh, like this boat does not have any running lights. Uh, the storm has blocked out the light from the moon and the stars. Waves are crashing over them. The boat is filling up with water. They've been fighting this storm with everything they have, maybe for hours. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care about what I'm going through? Don't you see how hard, how difficult, how hopeless things look? Lord, I don't think we can take much more. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Ever been there? Desperate, and it appears that Jesus is taking a nap. Jesus, how can you sleep at a time like this when we need you so badly? Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Someone say, Lord, save us. That's a great prayer, by the way, you know. I think sometimes we think we have to throw in a bunch of these and thou's and uh, five or six scripture references and make sure we mention the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So everybody's involved in it, right? No. Sometimes the best prayer is, Lord, help me now. Lord, save us now. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are we afraid? Hey, Jesus, I know you've been sleeping, but look around. Do you see the storm we're in? Do you see the waves crashing over us? Do you see the boat filling up with water? We're not going to make it. We're going under. Why are we afraid? Then they got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. Mark actually tells us what he said. Quiet. Be still. That word quiet is the word it means to be silent, to hold one's peace. Siopao, siopao, say that, siopao. The word be still is fomao, say fomao. And that means to close the mouth with a muzzle. Siopao, fiomao. Turn to the person next to you and say, siopao, fiomao. Be silent, put a muzzle on it, right? Come on, you've been wanting to say that for a while. Siopao, fiomao. Quiet, be still. And it was completely calm. I found a picture this week of a, of a still ocean. That'd be crazy, right? We're, we're talking a violent storm, winds blowing, waves crashing, and instantly. It's like that. Like, the sea didn't take time to settle down once it went instantly. It goes from violent winds to completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Uh, Mark, through Peter, adds, they were filled with great fear when they saw that. Literally, in Greek, it, it, it says, they became afraid, very much afraid. <laughs> they became afraid, very much or mega afraid, and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. And that's our text for this morning and our conversation, finding peace in the storm. 
And, and notice I chose the word in and not from. Listen, this conversation is not about finding peace from the storm. It's about finding peace in the storm. And believe me when I tell you, there is a big difference between the two. Get it? Good. Earlier this week, yeah, I, I, I grabbed my sermon prep file folder. You've seen those before. And, and I began to write down some questions with regard to this text. Uh, what does this passage say about Jesus? What does it say about those who follow after him? Would Jesus have calmed the storm if they never asked him to? Why did they wake Jesus up in the first place? I mean, he's a carpenter, not a fisherman. And then why were they so amazed when he actually did something about the storm? Did Jesus know they were going to face a storm when he said, go to the other side of the lake? How could Jesus expect them to face such a violent and dangerous storm, something far beyond their control, and not be afraid? And why were they not only amazed when everything became calm, but were filled with great fear. I had a lot of questions. As I continued my study throughout the weeks, I was struggling. Hey, how, how, do, I, how do I put this thing together that makes sense? And, and what does God want to say this morning, May 28, 2023? And the struggle continued until a thought hit me. That happens every now and then. And then I forget them. <laughs> Why am I in my kitchen right now? Why did I walk up here? What am I standing up here for? <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, Steve, what's the purpose? What's the goal of this verse by study in Matthew? I mean, you've been talking about it almost every week recently. And the goal, remember, the goal of this study we're in is to gain a greater understanding of both who Jesus is and what it looks like to live in the kingdom he established 2,000 years ago so that we can know Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly day by day. And so our time remaining, we're going to look at, hey, what does this text say about who Jesus is? What does it say about what it looks like to live in the kingdom and to find peace in the storm? Before we do that, Two things. First, I'm going to give you my definition of a storm, and then we're going to take two. Okay, my definition of a storm. Now, it could be literally you're in a boat in the middle of a lake, and it's a storm. But basically, a storm is any time that we're up against something that is dangerous and threatening to our life, to our physical life, our emotional life, our spiritual life, our relational life. It's something that is much too big for us, something that is completely out of our control. So a storm might be a, a bad report from your doctor. The test came back and it's cancer. Uh, a storm could be the, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a dream. The storm could be a, a fight you're in with discouragement and depression. It, it could be a financial storm. Again, it's something that is large and loud and threatening. Now let's take two. Thanks for not sneaking out. Appreciate that. Okay, so what does this event, the coming of the storm, teach us about who Jesus is? Number one, that Jesus was fully man. And because he's fully man, Jesus gets worn out and depleted just like we do. Understand, Jesus got tired and he slept. 
Got hunger and he ate, got thirsty and he drank. If he hit him, he bruised. If he cut him, he bled. If you killed him, he died. Jesus was a man. Now, I love how one author puts it. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend that he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. It's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the muck and mire of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Only if we let him in, only if you let him in, can he pull you out. Amen? Who is Jesus? He's fully man, and he's also one who practiced what he preached. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the people not to worry about their lives, about food, about clothing. He told them, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Understand, Jesus was able to sleep and not be worried about the storm because he trusted in the Father. I mean, like Jesus was literally living out Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord. Someone say, for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Bottom line, Jesus knew that God would take care of him. And Jesus knew that God had a plan for him. And that plan was not to die in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm. But rather to die on a cross for the sins of mankind and rise back to life three days later. And Jesus trusted in God to fulfill that plan. But hey, wait a minute. Doesn't Jeremiah 29, 11 apply to Jesus? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to prosper you and give you hope in the future. And let me tell you something that could change your, the way you look at storms. Most times, storms are part of God's plan for your life. <laughs> like, like David, God had a plan for David to be king and to bless the nation, but there was a storm of a crazy king who threw spears at him for about 18 years. God had a plan for Joseph, right, to save his people from famine, but there were many storms along the way that were also part of God's plan. Now, disciples cried out over the roar of the storm, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And listen, here's the deal. Jesus did care. It's just that he wasn't worried about the storm. And by the way, your storm and my storm does not worry Jesus. Like Jesus does not freak out when you and I have problems and difficulties. Amen? 
You see, he trusted God. He trusted God's power. He trusted God's promises. Just as he did when the waves and winds of the cross came crashing down upon him. Hebrew writer says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now understand, the stetron was brutal from the moment of his arrest till the time when the guard pierced his side. But in that storm, Jesus trusted in God's promises. And he trusted in the joy of the victory that God placed before him. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Who is Jesus? He is fully man. He is the one who practices what he preaches. And Jesus is patient with us. Yet Jesus rebuked them for having so little faith, for not trusting him, for doubting that he loved and cared for them. But do you notice that Jesus did not kick them out of the boat? Like he didn't say, all right, I've had enough of you guys. I am so done with you. A little faith. No. He was patient with them as their little faith grew and developed. And he'll be patient with you and with me as our little faith grows and develops. Amen? He's patient. He's not so quick to kick us off the boat. Now, one of my favorite passages about God's patience is this one in 1 Timothy. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I will show mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ must display, might display his immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. As he thought about God's patience, Paul then says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is Jesus? He's fully man. He's the one who practices what he preaches. He's the one who's patient with us as our little faith grows. And he's God. You know when the winds were stilled, and the seas became calm, when all was instantly peaceful and the threat from the storm had been removed, we might expect the disciples to be jumping up and down, slapping each other high fives, and shouting, thanks Jesus, way to go, that was so cool, that was so awesome, that had to be your best miracle yet. But that's not what we read. We read that they became afraid, very much afraid. And what was the source of this new mega fear? Answer, it was Jesus. He saved them from the storm. And now they're more afraid, feel more fear for him than they were the storm. Why is that? Because they're starting to get a glimpse of who Jesus might be. You see, healing diseases, casting out demons is one thing. But controlling the winds and the waves, controlling nature, controlling creation was something different altogether. You see, they knew the Psalms that we read earlier, right? Uh, the Psalms that talk about all these things that only God can do, that only God can calm the seas, that only God can still the waves. They knew those things. 
And when everything may come, they're, they're beginning to freak out big time because they, you know, only God can do that. Only God can control creation. Only God can make, only the wind and waves only listen to God. And yet this guy we just woke up from a nap just stilled the winds and the waves right before our very eyes. I mean, the water is still dripping off of them as they begin to ponder the reality that the one in the boat with them just might be God himself. And listen, throughout scriptures, when people meet God, we don't find them slapping God a high five and say, really good to see you, bro. And so like Isaiah, they cry out, woe to me, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I've been among a people unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Who's Jesus? He's God. Because he's God, it should not surprise us that he has control of creation, right? After all, Paul writes in Colossians verse, chapter 1, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Of course he can walk on water. Of course he can cause the winds to be still. He created. He's a creator God. Who is Jesus? He's fully man. He knows what it feels like to be us. He's entered this world to pull us out. Who is Jesus? He's the one who practices what he preaches and models a perfect trust in God's person, God's plan, and God's promises so that we too can lie down and sleep in peace. For we know that God alone makes us well in safety. Who is Jesus? He's the one that's patient with us. As our little faith grows and develops, Understand, he is not quick to kick you out of the boat. So don't be so quick to jump out when you mess up. Amen? He's God. He has absolute control over everything. And listen, God is not sleeping when you're in the storm. I love Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot sleep. He who watches over you will neither slumber or sleep. Question, in the middle of the sermon, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's a very good thing because when we have problems beyond our power, we need a power beyond our problems, amen? When we have problems beyond our power, we need a power beyond our problems. Get it? Good. Okay, what does it look like to live in the kingdom and find peace in the storm? These are going to come pretty, pretty quick. They are short and they're short and sweet. It look, first, it looks like progress, not perfection. Understand, we will never live out our faith perfectly. Disciples didn't. Not on the boat that day. And not even after they'd seen the risen Lord. Again, it looks like progress, not perfection. But listen, that does not mean that perfection is not our aim, that perfection is not our target, right? After all, Paul said this, 
In Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to have a happy life in Disney World. No. He chose them to become like his son. So that's the aim. For us to become like Jesus. For us to progressively look more and more like Jesus did when he wore flesh and walked on this planet. Therefore, as Hebrew writer says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What does it look like to find peace in the storm? It looks like progress, not perfection. Now there's two extremes I want you to avoid when you walk out of those doors in a few moments. One extreme is this. Oh man, the aim is perfection. I'm so far from it. What a terrible and worthless Jesus follower I am. It's all pointless. I'll never make it. Why bother? I might as well jump off the boat. The other extreme is, hey, since I can never be perfect anyway, then making progress is not that big of a deal. So I won't think about it all that much, and I won't work to achieve it. I pray that neither one of us, none of us, take either of those extremes. Uh, next, find a piece of sermon looks like pursuing God's presence. Uh, understand, many of Jesus' followers about pursuing God's presence. It's about seeking Him. It's about drawing closer to Him. It, it's about Him, not us. It's about knowing who He is. And not simply about Jesus making our lives better. Jesus helping us to feel better about us. And about Jesus stilling the winds and waves that are beating against our lives. What I'm trying to say is that the prize, the reward, if you will, is not the calming of the storms. But the finding of Jesus. Honestly, just like his guys, that day the that day on the Sea of Galilee, storms can help us find God, can help us know him better. And now this week, this week as I was working on this very concept of storms helping us find God, my mind was brought back to a book that I, uh, that I read, gosh, I hate to say words like this, that I read about 29 years ago. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But anyhow, called Finding God by Larry Crabb. Moving through your problems towards finding God. And I got this book when there were some storms raging in my life. I felt like I was going to drown. I felt like there's no way I can take on any more water. And this book gave me an incredible perspective about the problems and storms in my life. Matter of fact, I began rereading it this week. Check out this quote from Larry. In today's world, we are more preoccupied with solving our problems than finding God. We've got it backwards. Instead of using God to solve our problems, we need to use our problems to find God. See, peace in the storm is all about finding Him. It's not about Him solving our problems. It's not about him stealing the wind, stealing the wind and the waves so that all is calm. So that we can feel good again about our life and about ourselves. And you know, I'm afraid that far too often I try, in quotes, because 
You can't do it, but I, I try to use God to solve my problems. Lord, I'm losing hope here. Uh, Lord, I can't take on any more water. Help me. I'm going to drown. Don't you care? Don't you see how bad, how hard, how difficult, how hopeless it is? Please fix my life. Calm these winds and waves. Make things better. And make me feel better about me. And then, Jesus, you can go back to your nap. And I won't bother you anymore. Oh, that is until the next storm comes blowing in. Today's world, we're more preoccupied with solving our problems than finding God. Got it backwards. Instead of using God to solve our problems, we need to use our problems to find God. And what I'm trying to say is that what you need in your storm, more than the winds and the waves being still, is to find God. God is your peace in the storm. Amen? We need to begin using our storms to help us find God. Jeremiah said this, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. And listen, in your storms, if you're seeking God to solve your problems, God, I want to find you because this is really messed up and I like it to be better. God, I want to find you because I'm not feeling really good about me right now and I, I want to feel better about me. Guess what? then when I do that, I am not seeking God with all my heart. And then I won't find him. i got to seek him for him. You know that, hey, if I find him, that's enough. If I find him, if the winds still blow and the seas still rage, that's okay because I found him. Amen? What does it look like to find peace in the storm, to live in his kingdom? It's, it looks like progress, not perfection. It looks like Pursuing his presence, it looks like trusting in his promises. That's what Jesus did. That's what disciples are learning to do. Like if Jesus told them they were going to cross over to the other side, then guess what? They were going to cross over to the other side. That doesn't mean there's not going to be storms and difficulties, but they would get to the other side. And listen, there are many promises of God that he wants us to hold on to in the midst of our storms. To trust in. Listen, we can trust that our hearts do not need to be troubled because Jesus is coming back one day so we can be where he is. John 14, 1 to 3. Uh, we can trust that we can have peace in this world of trouble because he's overcome the world. John 16, 33. Uh, uh, we can trust that our present storms aren't worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. Uh, we can trust that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are living according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. Uh, we can trust that in all things, in troubles, in famines, in persecution, hardships, and danger or sword, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Romans 8, 37. Uh, we can trust that if we give God our worries and concerns that he will give us a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And, and we can trust that one day the sky will crack open and Jesus will return in power and glory, wiping every tear from our eyes and bringing us into our awesome forever. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more disease, and no more storms ever. Yes, living in the kingdom Finding peace in the storm is trusting in his promises. 
As Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And one psalm we read today said this, we're almost done. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this storm. The Christian gains by his losses. He acquires health by his sickness. He wins friends through his bereavement. He becomes a conqueror through his defeats. Nothing, therefore, can be injurious to the Christian. When the very worst things that he has are but rough waves to wash his golden ship home. What a beautiful picture. The storms in our lives are simply waves that are pushing our golden ship home. Brothers and sisters, you and I are on a journey. And we're headed home. This is not our home. We're headed home. And the trials and tribulations and the storms that we experience in this life are but waves pushing us towards our desired haven, pushing us towards our awesome home in heaven. Amen? Live in the kingdom, find the peace in the storm. It's about progress, not perfection. It's about pursuing his presence. It's about trusting in his promises. And let me note real quickly here. There's no peace in trusting promises he never said. <laughs> right, like God did not promise you happiness. He did not promise you health and wealth and all that other stuff. He did not. And so there's no peace if you anchor yourself to promises that God never made, right? But there is peace when you anchor yourself to promises that he did make, all right? Finally, living in the kingdom, finding peace in the storm, looks like embracing his purposes. I understand there's a purpose in every storm that you're facing right now or will face in the future. We've already mentioned one, right? A huge one, right? Finding God. Another purpose is mentioned by James in his letter to us. Consider pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and storms and winds and waves of many kinds, because you know. Someone say, because you know. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What, what if we, what if I, what if you approach every storm like this? God, how can I find you in the storm? And God, how can you use this storm, this situation? I'd rather not be in. But, but how can you use this situation, God, to, to make me more like Jesus? So I'll be more mature and complete? More lacking in nothing? Okay, let's wrap this up. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants you to find peace in the storm. He wants you to find him. So... Pursue his presence in the storm. Trust in his promises in the storm. Embrace his purposes in the storm. And remember, it's about progress, not perfection. 
He is not quick to kick you off the boat. So don't jump out when you only have just a little bit of faith in the middle of your storm. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're going we're gonna to sing a song and, and then take communion. And, and I do want to say that, you know, you know, if you're in a storm right now, and sometimes if you're in a storm, you ever been to a place where you know you need to pray, but you can't pray for yourself? Because you're not sure you believe in God or like God right now. You know, and, and you need someone to pray for you. You know, and I'm not going to ask you to come up forward and tell us what you need prayer for. But, but if you need prayer, man, grab me. Grab me after service. Grab someone and just say, hey, you know what? Man, this is hard right now. And all I hear is the wind. All I feel is the wave. And all I think is that I'm going under, right? It would really be a shame for someone in the storm right now who feels hopeless to walk out of here without a little prayer. Amen? Amen. Again, not going to put you on the spot or any kind of craziness like that, but prayer matters and prayer makes a difference. Every week we take communion. And so as we're singing this song, we have our communion at various stations. You'll find also there, there's a boxes where you take, uh, we take up our offering. Also, obviously, text to give, give online and things like that. Well, if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray us into this, um, this song right here. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Jesus, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that all of us will stop using you to solve our problems and using you so we feel better about us and help us just to want you, to find you, to know you, to love you, to be with you. Father, I pray for all those in the midst of a storm right now that the words we spoke and what Jesus has taught us today, Lord, will sink deep into their hearts. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Prepare hearts for communion. And thank you, Jesus, for going through the storm of the cross so that we could have peace with God. In Jesus' name, amen.